Hey everybody, welcome to the Apotaka Podcast. This is episode number 21. Before we get into some of the um, the intro stuff that we've been doing for the past few weeks, just want to tell you about the exciting interview that is coming up. We talked to Eric Sarantola, the Kansas City Royals prospect who just finished a successful session in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, we got a chance to talk to him, Willow and I. And he told us about his year and uh, a lot of other things. It was uh, it was a good time catching up with him, somebody that we've known for a long time. So um, look forward to that. Stay around for it. Uh, but kind of different today because I'm flying solo. Willow is not here with me. Neither is Tassoni. They're both tied up. So this is a little bit different. And uh, but we're gonna we're gonna get through it, you and I together. Now. Um, episode number 21, let's talk about some, some stats for the 1921 season. Babe Ruth decides to go off and hit 59 home runs and 171 RBIs. While Roger Hornsby actually leads the circuit in average with a 397 uh, clip. Now on the pitching side, Carl Mays and Urban Shocker. What a fantastic name, by the way. Urban Shocker. Both lead the league with 27 wins. Now get these. Innings pitched. Carl Mays had 336 and two-thirds innings pitched. Uh, that spanned over 49 games, 30 of the eight, 38 of them being starts. And he finished with 30 complete games, as did Urban Shocker. And he had 326 innings pitched. Absolutely crazy. Now... While Carl Mays had his 336 innings pitched, what I thought was interesting was that he only had 70 strikeouts. That's unheard of today. Like 70 strikeouts on 336 innings, absolutely wild, but he still had a 305 ERA. So crazy stats from back then. Now, last week, Willow kind of challenged me when I was talking about jersey numbers, and he was upset that a lot of them are you know, older, older generations and uh, Hall of Famers and, and, you know, maybe players of my generation, not his. So he wanted some some newer names. So episode 21, it was really quick to figure out, oh, yeah, 21. There is only one baseball player that gets significant recognition when we're talking about that number. And that is, of course, the late, great Roberto Clemente. Tragically, he died in a plane crash in 1972 on uh, New Year's Eve 1972 as he was trying to deliver aid to Nicaragua after a devastating earthquake that struck the country on December 23rd. So eight days later, he flies to Nicaragua or attempts to because he wasn't pleased at the fact that the previous, I think, three uh, deliveries of aid were intercepted by a corrupt government. So he took it upon himself to jump on the fourth flight uh, with the aid to hopefully ensure that the, the deliveries were, were getting to the, to the places that they need to go. Um, the plane that he got on had been known for some mechanical issues. Uh, it was short-staffed that day, and uh, it was actually 4,000 pounds overweight. And shortly after takeoff, the 
plane crashed into the Atlantic Ocean, killing all all people on board, which I think was only four or five people, uh, but that included Roberto Clemente. So, um, you know, we see today the there's a day that is in his honor in Major League Baseball, Roberto Clemente Day, which is September 15th of every year. And we see some notable, notable people uh, wear his number uh, in his honor, specifically Latin American players and even more specifically Puerto Rican players, which is where he was from. You know, as, as a Jays fan, we saw Jose Barrios wear it. He actually pitched on that day on Roberto Clemente Day in 2023, uh, wore number 21 uh, in, in Clemente's honor. And that was pretty neat. He actually threw a gem that day. But so although some notable people have worn 21, including Roger Clemens, Paul O'Neill, Sammy Sosa, uh, Stephen Vogt, um, new manager now, Christian Yelich when he was with the Marlins, Yiner Diaz, Hunter Green with the Reds, um, and others, um, there truly is only one number 21, and that is Roberto Clemente. So, on that note, welcome to 21, episode 21, and let's get to our quick hits. Okay, we've got uh, free agency si- or free agency season is kind of in full swing now, kind of gearing up, and although most of the trades to or sorry, signings at this point have been kind of say second tier, there are some notable ones. So, um, you know, Paul Quantrill, sorry, not Paul Quantrill, his son, Cal Quantrill, who was, um, put on waivers and designated for assignment, taken off the 40 man, um, was picked up by the, the, the Colorado Rockies. thought that was an interesting one because I think it's a place that Cal can go and, and have some success, find his footing again, and maybe get into a rotation where, you know, you know, prior to, to 2023, you know, preseason, he was somebody who was a lock in that staff on the Guardians rotation, and uh, he didn't quite have the season he was hoping for. Um, never, never kind of got his footing right and had some struggles. So, hoping now that he can find um, find his way back with the Rockies, get in the rotation, um, you know, maybe the top half of the rotation, and and find his success again. Um, now another. Another trade, I'll say, and this is definitely the Canadian bias coming up with the first two were mentioned. The Braves acquire Aaron Bummer from the White Sox in return for Mike Soroka, Braden Shoemake, Nicky Lopez, Jordan Schuster, and minor leaguer Riley Gowns. Now, of that uh, notable no, of that list, the notable player for me is obviously Mike Soroka. He's you know only a few years removed from having. Cy Young type season, um, All Star season, and Rookie of the Year season. Uh, you know, I think he plays second Rookie of the Year voting. He's battled injuries the last few years. Um, you know, had Achilles, had an Achilles injury twice, almost back to back. So that's that's a guy that I feel like he has a lot of upside still. He's only twenty six years old. He goes to the White Sox. And if he can remain healthy and find his way, as we just said the same thing about Cal, um, 
you know, it could be a really good signing for the White Sox. And he was arbitration eligible. He made $2.8 million last year. And, you know, with the season he had and battling more injuries and not, not putting up numbers when he was healthy, I don't see that number moving too much. So, you know, it could be a 3 or $4 million flyer that the White Sox um, are taking. But the upside of that is is pretty high, I think. Um, Brandon, uh, sorry, Brandon Woodruff was just non-tendered. He wasn't offered a contract by the Brewers. Now he is a highly coveted free agent by the rest of the Major League teams. Now he's not going to pitch probably in 2024, and uh, he becomes a free agent after that. So it would be somebody that teams probably try to to sign to a long-term deal right away um, if, if they if they want to try to pick him up and not worry about a one-year offering anyway and, and try to, to lock him up. Now, uh, with the shoulder surgery, it's a little bit questionable if he's going to regain his prior form, which saw him um, one of the most dominant pitchers in the National League for, for years. But again, uh, if you can sign him for the right price, then I think there will be teams who are willing to do that. Um, two other signings that have just recently happened, actually. Uh, Lance, Lynn, Lance Lynn signed with the Cardinals. One year, $11 million contract with incentives that could take it up to $14 million. There's also an option in there for the following year that could take it up to $25 million. But he's a guy that the Cardinals are hoping to regain form as well. He didn't have a terrific year last year, but he does have a history of, of being a dominant pitcher. And a, and a big-time competitor. So um, Cardinals are looking for him to, to get back into shape and round out their rotation as they are hoping for the same thing with Kyle Gibson, who they just signed actually about 15 minutes before recording this. Um, now it's just a, a one-year deal, and the financials haven't been uh, distributed or, or advertised yet. So, uh, But he's a guy who's been incredibly steady, uh, he's eaten up a lot of innings and uh, remained healthy. Um, so, so those two things, you got Lance Lynn and, and, and Gibson to the Cardinals. Obviously, they need to make some changes this year uh, to try to get back into playoff form. And so we'll see if those two pitchers can help out. Now, the big signing, obviously, is Aaron Nola, re-signed with the Phils, which is kind of what I saw happening anyway. We like to speculate... Um, in baseball about where where players may go what teams are hot on different players where you know where people might sign and i think there was even a report saying that the phillies you know this is uh maybe a couple weeks ago that they were going to focus their efforts on blake snell as opposed to air nova air nola my question was why why are you going to do that you know what you're getting with nola he's more steady in my mind than blake snell so ultimately, Nola does sign back with the Phils on a seven-year deal, $172 million. So it will remain his only major league club that he uh, has ever known. I think that's a great signing, average value of uh, right around $24.5 million per year. I think that's, you know, it's hard to say that's a steal for the Phillies, but I think he probably would have garnered a little bit more attention or uh, been able to, to get a little bit more financially rewarded with another team but clearly he likes Philadelphia which I mean why wouldn't you you've you've got a great thing going there and pretty good roster and uh there's comfort as well so that goes a long way um 
uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto of the Orcs Buffaloes in the Japanese Nippon League, um, Nippon Professional Baseball League, has officially been posted. What that means is that teams, major league teams, have 45 days to negotiate a contract with him now. So uh, it looks like he will be coming over. We've all heard it. There's a lot of speculation about him coming. He's probably the number two pitcher behind um, Shohei Otani, who will not be pitching next year. But he is one of the arms that teams will be looking for to really anchor their rotation. Um, so the length of that deal it will be uh, determined to be determined, but I think uh, the expectations of him coming in and almost like a Kodai Sanga and and putting up numbers and having success immediately are high. So I'm interested to see what happens there. And obviously, that you know whoever signs him, it's going to be a, a big market team. It's going to be a team that's willing to open up the the bank for him and um, and pay him you know what he deserves and what I guess. Um, He's going to command. So we'll look for that one. Um, the Oakland Athletics. The move looks virtually official as owners have unanimously approved the move to Vegas. Now, here's the, the, the tricky part. A stadium in Vegas wouldn't be ready until 2028. The A's have one more year at the current stadium in Oakland. Um, it's a 2024. So that leaves... 2025, 26, and 27 um, as kind of hermits. They're moving around. There's talk of them, you know, playing in in Vegas's AAA park. There's talk of them playing um, at Oracle Park with the Giants play, and kind of being nomads, jumping around from place to place for three years, which is kind of I don't know. That'd be unsettling as a player, and it might be hard to, to sign some players for the next three years to stay there. But you know, let's be honest, they're not. Uh, they're not opening opening the pocketbook for too many free agents anyway. So uh could be a great opportunity for lots of minor league players to come up and um and show what they have for the next few years until that stadium's ready in 2028, and then we'll see what happens and, and maybe owners will start to to spend a little bit more on on fielding a a team that might be a little bit more uh competitive, let's say. Speaking of competition, the competition committee um, is considering some more rule changes for, I guess, 2024, but it's in consideration anyway, which means they've had discussions. So, oh, you know, like we didn't see enough rule changes in 2023, some of the new changes, uh, some of the lesser ones, they're, they're thinking about reducing the mound visits from five to four which I don't think is a huge deal. Um, but a couple of the other ones that are interesting, there's talk of only allowing pitchers to work from the stretch with runners on base. That kind of eliminates the the balk, the uh, having to declare if you're out of the stretch or the wind up. Um, eliminating, the, you know, some pitchers are kind of doing like a hybrid wind up stretch move that people weren't sure if they're, you know, if they're in the stretch or the wind up. So I think it makes it a little bit more consistent. So, but it, I think you'll see some pitchers. I don't want to say struggle with it because they'll make adjustments. But you know, if you're if you're a pitcher who likes to pitch from the stretch with say a runner on third base and two out or something like that, you know, it will be a little bit of a, of an adjustment period. So 
Um, we'll see that one. Uh, I think that one could be interesting, but the big one to me is the consideration of shaving an additional two seconds off the pitch clock with runners on base. So that would take it from 20 seconds down to 18 seconds only with runners on base. Uh, bases empty would stay at 15 seconds. I think it's just crazy at this point. It's, I mean, the, the pitch clock is one year. It's in its infancy. And we're already trying to make another adjustment. Like, just leave it for now. Let it go. Like, the game is fine. I think I heard that ultimately an additional two seconds would... Um, Sounds like the speculation or the, the the mathematicians out there are saying that it would shave another five minutes off the game. Like who cares? If you're if you're looking to shave five more minutes off the game, then you're you can't really be that big of a baseball fan. You're you're not in like if that makes a difference to you, go watch another sport. Go watch basketball or or football or hockey or something like that. Because um I like to see the in-between pitches, the thought processes, the kind of uh, back and forth, the cat and mouse game take place. And if you keep shaving time off in between, it doesn't allow for that. So I'm against this. I don't like it. I've, I've never been a supporter of the pitch clock anyway, really. But I, I, I wouldn't like to see it, especially just one year into the new rule changes being implemented anyway. So let's just leave it for now. I hope they do not pass. Um, but I guess, again, as is all of these things, it will be to be determined. That's going to wrap it up for the quick hits this week. I miss Willow, miss Tassoni. Speaking to myself is strange, but that's the way it is. Um, without any further ado, I don't want to hold back. So let's get to that interview with Eric Sarantola. We had a great time. I hope you enjoy it. Feel free to reach out and let us know what you think. Enjoy, everybody. Joining us today for our interview this week is somebody that uh, you know, Willow. You've you've played yep, with them, and, and I and I coached you, uh, Eric Sarantola, in the 2017 World Cup in Thunder Bay for Team Canada the U18 tournament. Um, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me, boys. Yeah, you just finished up too a pretty successful season. Capped it off with a fall league invite. I actually watched. Uh, part of that final game, championship game, I was pretty pumped to see you get in the game, pitched a couple innings, and uh, it's funny. I referred to you guys as Team Canada because you had six of you on the team, yeah. and uh, that was pretty neat. Tell, tell us about that. I want to hear about that game specifically and you know, ultimately winning that championship. Yeah, honestly, it, it got pretty competitive um, throughout the entire fall league for the most part. like I'd say for the first two weeks, you know, the scheduled pitchers would kind of throw. And then kind of halfway through, we kind of like the team was doing well and it was a real shot to, to try to win this thing. And you know, our manager kind of flipped the, he didn't flip the script, but I feel like he was like, he was playing to win games. Mm -hmm. So then we ended up clinching the week prior to, or I guess the second last week, we clinched first place, which um, clinched us to play in the championship game, avoid the playing game. Right. And then, um, so then everyone was fired up for that week coming up and uh and then yeah no let me tell you i haven't felt that kind of adrenaline and kind of that emotion and excitement um in in a while you know it probably brings me back to to the college days when yeah. you know we had the crowds at mississippi state and, and things like that and not that you know 
pro ball in the minors, you, you don't have that feeling. Um, but it was just kind of, you know, exciting. Yeah. And, and what was it like? Because it's, I mean, this is a team where what are there five organizations that come together over about six or seven weeks or so, and you need to gel really quickly. So to celebrate with, you know, players from a different organization all on the field, I mean, at the time it probably feels normal, but you know, for, for onlookers, it's, it's kind of neat. How, how are those relationships built in that time? Was it, was it, um, did you guys bond pretty quick? Yeah, no, for the most part, like it was a great group of guys. Like we meshed really well. There was no, no egos, no nothing like that. And I guess you could also say help that, you know, we had six, <laughs> yeah. six Canadians on the squad. So um, a bunch of us already knew each other and that was mm-hmm. kind of an easy way to get to meet the other guys through, you know, Canadians and the other guys on the other orgs. Um, but no, like I said, the, the group was, was great. Like it was, it was a lot of fun. And then on top of that, to, to win it with those guys, no, everyone was fired up and no, it was really fun to do. That's funny because we've we've talked to a few guys who are in the Arizona Fall League and like every guy we've talked to, like like the guys that their teammates, like they said it's been awesome. Like everyone on the same page from day one, like just a bunch of good dudes. So it's funny how like every team's kind of, you know, same things came out of it, right? Of just good dudes playing baseball. So that's that's pretty cool to hear. Yeah, no, and I think everyone was like everyone kinda it's been a long year. Mm-hmm. And then everyone because kind kind of had obviously you had you had some guys that were dealing with injuries and they were there for innings and and things like that. But then a lot of the position players, for the most part, were were guys just trying to get you know another opportunity, more exposure, and things like that. So for a lot of these guys, like we were playing like month seven and eight, mm-hmm. of like you know this was a mm-hmm. this was a long year for a lot of guys. So we kind of probably bonded over that, just like you know what we're going to grind this out together. And then near the end, it was like hey we're going to play this late into the year. We might as well win it. Yeah. So that's kind of, that was kind of the mindset of the boys. And oh, like I said, kind of, you know, it felt good to finish out on a good note and with a little championship. When did, when did you find out that you were going to go to the the fall league? I found out probably like a couple weeks left in the season. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to our coordinator because I was kind of in between I knew they wanted to get my innings up because I missed uh, I missed most of the last season. Um, but I was also debating on going back to school and finishing that off. And uh, so, so I kind of, you know, gave him a phone call and he kind of told me for at the beginning, like, Hey, just, just hold out. Um, and I'll, I'll get back to you. And then about two weeks before the, the season season ended, I got pulled into the, the manager's office and he's like, yeah, you're uh where we've selected you to go play in the fall league for, and represent the Royals. And I was like, Sweet. I mean, it was a win-win situation regardless of what was going to happen. Either I finish my degree or I go and play more <laughs> baseball and, you know, play some really good competition while we're at it. So, What's uh, what's the degree? What do you need to finish up? I got a business management degree. Nice. I, I just finished up my last class this fall. I took one online, okay. but I had, I had I have three left now. So I would have knocked those those last four out this Are fall. You, I was going to say, you're doing it this offseason? I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, honestly, that that one class I took, I was kind of like just trying to get her done. And uh, but no, ho- ho- the plan is to to hopefully finish her up here in the next year or so. I like it's it. A, it's a so. tough thing to go back. I give I know, you props. Yeah. Hey, I did it as somebody who finished baseball and went back to to teachers college like ten plus years after I graduated. It's not easy. I'll tell you that much. Just oldest in your class or what? 
Uh, no, believe it or not, there were a couple that were older than I was. So, oh, that's um, not bad then. Yeah, it was okay. You were excited at first, but then it kind of, eh, that excitement ran thin pretty <laughs> quick. Pretty quick. He was like, damn it, this is school again. Hey, what was that bullpen like there? Because, I mean, there are, I think, about 87 players on a roster of the fall league team. And a lot of them are relievers, right? You got, you know, 20, 20 some odd pitchers on a staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those are going to be relievers. That bullpen just packed down there or what? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't too bad, honestly. The um, There was a couple of injuries. So some guys left sooner um, and, and things like that. So it wasn't like full, full. Um, near the end, you know, we, I don't know, I'd probably say there was, but for the most part, like there were scheduled outings. So like for me, I was coming out of the bullpen, but I knew that I was piggybacking off Zerpa. Right. So that I kind of had a routine throughout the entire fall league in the sense that like I had my midweek bullpen and I had, you know, I was just kind of working as a starter, just coming out in relief. Um, and for, for a lot of guys, well, I wouldn't say a lot of guys, but probably 10 or so arms in the bullpen were strictly relievers. Mm-hmm. And then kind of the rest of the bunch were, were starters that were coming out in relief. So they would kind of spend, you know, the majority of the game in the bull, uh, in the dugout. Um, as did I, I did a little bit of both hung out with the, mm-hmm. The guys in the bullpen at times, and then sometimes I'd, I'd go into the the dugout and hang out with those guys. So it kind of it kind of depend, but we probably had about ten or maybe just over ten actual relievers where they were kind of available, and and if they needed them, they they'd use them. So now I guess one of the cool things about playing with a bunch of different organizations is you get to meet different people, you get to see everybody, you know how they go about their business, what they bring to the table, how they prepare, what they pitch. Was there anything or anybody that maybe you, you picked up anything off of that you might have implemented into your game or, or not too much? Um, or who impressed you? You know what? Yeah, know, that's been the, the question we've been that's asking. That's been a big one. Yeah, I mean, we had a ton of really good arms on our team. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually had guys that had some big league experience as well. So obviously Zerpa with the Royals. He was one, yeah. He was one, but then we also had uh, Carson Spires um, with Cincinnati. Yeah. He had some big league time later on in the year. So, you know, that's that's one guy I kind of hung out whenever I went into the dugout, you know, just kind of chatted with him, see, you know, what it was like up there and, you know, things that he it's helped him along the way. And we had – he went to Clemson, so I knew a few people that played with him. And, you know, it was fun just kind of chatting up with those guys. Then obviously we had, you know, guys like Ricky. Ricky's young and super mm-hmm. talented. Um, and kind of, you know, see how he goes about things. And uh, but no, everyone kind of has their own way um, of going about it and just kind of picking their brain and, and see what works for you. And if you want I if you want to try it out, then it doesn't hurt to you yeah. know, try it out. But for the most part, I mean, I was kind of picking everybody's, you know, brain, what the routine was like, what was their, you know, treatment routine, things like that, because organizations go about it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just kind of neat to see how, how people would, you know, do like after an outing um, and, you know, the day after an outing, what do they do? Do they lift? Do they do all these different things? And there, there was definitely some, some similarities, but there was also some differences. So it was kind of cool to, to see how they went about things. What do you, what do you got on Ricky? Cause as much as this is supposed to be like a big baseball podcast where we don't focus on one team, me and Big are both being Jays guys. Like we, you know, we talk about Ricky quite a bit, and we're pretty excited. But what did you see in him? Like, what obviously, we're, we're talking about Ricky Tiedemann, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Ricky was awesome. He he was one of the guys that 
you know, he was excited to be there. Um, he obviously, I think, missed some time, so he was trying to get some innings up. Um, but no, just just a great guy, and he he went out there and he he shoved. He probably had five six outings, and he he took care of business down there. Um, no, it was fun to watch, and like I said, great guy, fun to talk to. Yeah, he took home the player of the year, or sorry, pitcher of the year honors uh, this year, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, in you were drafted in in twenty one, right, by Kansas City, and you end up going to complex complex league that year. Twenty twenty two, you spent time in A ball in Columbia and Quad Cities in High A. And then this past year, you were back in Quad Cities to start and then got your first taste of double-A in Northwest Arkansas. Um, now, I was looking at your your baseball reference page, and I'm kind of, you know, see if anything sticks out to me. And one thing that I noticed is that you, you're you back and forth between starting and relieving and bullpen and opening games, starting games. And What's going on? What's the plan? I need to know these things. Yeah, so... Um, definitely the first, I mean, the, my last two seasons, it's been starting. Um, and then a lot had to do with the fact that I got hurt last year. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of the year, um, they just wanted to take me slow. So originally the plan was just, um, you know, come out in relief as a piggy roll, kind of similar thing to what I did in, uh, in the fall league Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, have a scheduled outing and you're just, you're just coming in relief rather than starting. And, um, so I did that, um, for the first part, probably for the first month and a half or so. And I, I really didn't get off to the, the greatest of start for 2023. Like it, you know, I, I struggled. And, uh, so then they were like, you know what, like, let's, let's move into the bullpen. Let's get him, get him in a couple of times a week rather than just the one and kind of go from there. And after that, I kind of, you know, I, I, I learned from what, what I did in the first month and a half and what I was doing wrong and things like that. And, and then I just kind of stayed in the bullpen for maybe a month, a couple months, and then I was throwing much better. And then they started slowly building me back up to that piggy roll. And then by the end of the year, I got the opportunity to start again. And no, and then, then I just kind of, I kept starting at that point. Do you have a, do you have a preference? Yeah. I was going to say, I, I, I enjoy starting. Starting is, is what I, I want to do. Um, but, you know, throughout this year, I've learned to do both, which mm-hmm. is, I think, very valuable yes. to be able to, to deal with. You know, for me in college as well, like I relieved, but everyone threw right before the game. Mm-hmm. And then in pro ball, relievers throw at two o'clock if you got like a six o'clock game. So for me, it was like, I didn't understand that. I was like, mm-hmm. well, you're going to be cold. Like by the time you, you get going in the bullpen and things like that. But at the end of the day, the difference between you throwing right before the game, two hours before you get into the game mm-hmm. or five hours doesn't make that big of a difference. Yeah. So just going through that and experiencing that now I know, okay, like I kind of have a routine as a reliever, but then I also have my routine as a starter and I can do both. And I feel very confident in, either one so especially as a guy who's trying to you know eventually crack a big league roster right if you've got that flexibility that's uh totally invaluable to an organization Mm -hmm. yeah um now obviously your strength as a pitcher is the punch out you've averaged in your career 11.6 strikeouts per nine is that something you kind of hang your hat on something you take pride in or does that just kind of come with uh with your repertoire 
Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely comes with the the repertoire. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just usually the strikeouts come when I get ahead and I work ahead and I I get the two strike as quick as possible. And that that's that's the biggest difference like that I found this year. Like, you know, if I fell behind, I mean, I could get some outs that way, obviously. But if I get to that two strike and it's a 0-2-1-2 count, you know, I, I felt pretty confident that I, I could put those guys away at that point. So throughout this year, it was just learning and just being confident to to just attack the guys right out of the gate. Keep it simple, make them earn it. And then if they, you know, if you got the guy 2-0 or 0-2, you know, you, you take care of them and uh, you put the, the strikeout pitch and that kind of deal. But I, I think the biggest thing between college and and pro ball for me was just learning, especially with my breaking ball, that you have that OO breaking ball and you got that O2 breaking ball. In college, it was I wanted to throw the nastiest pitch every time. Didn't matter the count. Yeah. So next thing you know, I'm down 2-0 when the first breaking ball should have just been a get me over breaking ball. You get ahead and at that point you can start expanding. Right. But that that's one thing that I felt like I grew grew up in with with feel. And that's just being able to land one, show them that you got that and that you can throw it for a strike. And then from then on, you can kind of expand. And I mean, Willow, you know, like as a hitter, like, yeah, I show you that I can throw the breaker for a strike. You're you're more likely to chase. Well, not many guys go to the dish looking OO breaker anyways, right? It's even if it's a get me over, it's like, ah, whatever. Tip your cap, hit something else. These are all things I'd like to talk about to young pitcher, pitcher. So that right there is really good advice, you know, for anybody listening to to talk there, Biggie. Yeah, that uh, the breaking balls aren't all the same depending on the count and the game situation and everything like that, right? What is the what is the repertoire? You got the big curve ball. Obviously, you got a, a a live fastball. What else are we featuring? And and a changeup. I'm a three pitch guy. The the breaking balls changed quite a bit since since you've coached me there, beggar. Mm-hmm. It's it's become a lot harder and I think yeah. definitely sharper. Like it's probably sitting, you know, mid eighties at this point. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's it's a power curve, um, and then the the four seamer, um, trying to get some ride with that one, so it works off my, you know, with the breaking ball and the the four seam ride, and uh, and then the changeup. Changeup is a pitch that I've. I've kind of gained a lot of confidence in and I, I have solid feel, but it's just a matter of, you know, bring it into the game. And I think it was difficult at times this season when I was coming out of the bullpen, you know, in, in short stints and stuff like that to, to want to go to your third pitch, you know, and just, you know, cause I felt so confident in the fastball and the curveball, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until the end of the year where, you know, I started getting extended with, with innings and, you know, I was going four or five innings. That's when the changeup became extremely effective. And just having that third pitch was, it helped me a lot, especially on days where, you know, maybe I didn't have quite the feel for the curveball or the fastball. That was a pitch that's helped me, you know, get back on track with the timing of my delivery and things like that. So it's, it's really good. And it's just a matter of throwing it more and continuing to gain feel for it. So. And were you able to work on that at all in the fall league? Like, did you put emphasis on that or or nothing any different than you would during the season? Yeah, I think I definitely threw it. One thing that I wanted to implement was more right on right changeup. I felt I felt nice. good. I felt good with let you know against lefties, mm-hmm. uh, but the right on right changeup was the one where you know 
I, with my curveball, like I kind of always felt that one. Um, but then my, you know, the coaches were like, Hey, start, start trying it. Like, you know, like if you can just show that you can throw it, like that's the third pitch that they got to worry about. Mm-hmm. So that, that was one thing that I definitely threw. I threw more right on right changeups, I think in the fall league than the entire year. So, um, yeah, that, that was, that was probably the, the main thing, like just kind of getting comfortable finding the, you know, kind of the target that, you know, I like when with a righty, because obviously with a lefty, like you kind of, for me, it's more a middle and then it kind of fades off to the outer edge mm-hmm. with a, with a righty. I mean, you just got to start a little more glove side. So it's funny if you can get comfortable throwing that righty on righty change up when you're behind in the count. I used to love that pitch. One Oh two Oh two one. If you could throw that one, man, it doesn't even have to be a good one. It's just gotta be a strike because righty on righty. That's, I mean, Willow, you're a hitter. That's the last pitch you're looking yeah, you're for. Not Generally, thinking, you're not thinking. At yeah, all, yeah. You're looking fastball. You're hunting yeah. fastball. Maybe in, maybe in a third at bat, maybe it's like, okay, this guy's got a good curveball. Maybe I'll sit on a curveball this pitch, but last pitch you're looking for is that change up, right? You yeah. can get some, some bad contact there. I worked my changeup off of my changeup. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, not much different <laughs> from the heater, huh? It's funny, Biggie. You you talked about your curveball there, and I, you know, I got one kind of story and then one question for you. And the story is, I actually remember a specific outing where you pitched. And it was an exhibition game, and it was at the Pan Am Fields in Ajax in Ontario. And it was the exhibition series that we played against Australia. We played them about what six, seven games or something like yeah. that. They came before the Worlds. And you started one game as a night game and you had it going on that game. And the curveball, I remember specifically, I mean, you were bouncing that thing like three feet in front of the plate and they were just waving at it. It was just, it was filthy that game. It was like unbelievable. And I specifically remember like Willow knows I've got the worst memory in the world, but I actually remember that outing. I think you probably punched out about 42 guys and three innings <laughs> or something like that. Uh, but it was crazy. Now, my question for you, though, is speaking of that nasty curveball, you were actually highlighted on Pitching Ninja back in college for this curveball. And, uh, you know, it resurfaced for me. It was sent to me by Adam Morissette, Baseball Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, he told me to ask you about it again. If you got any, you know, how, if you any, any recognition for it, did, did people reach out to you or anything like that? Um, do you remember that? That was a few years ago now. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, I, I remember it was one of my teammates in college that was the one to point it out. It's like, Eric, did you see this? I'm like, what? He goes, you just got you get, just got a shout out for pitching ninja. I was like, oh, no way. I didn't honestly, I didn't know a ton about him at the time. Right. Um, but then I know he there he, he kind of fell in love with our Mississippi State pitching staff, and he kind of started getting a little more guys involved in that. And I and no, I mean I. It was it was definitely cool, and I I had people reach out and, and things like that. It was neat, um, but yeah, no, I mean it it was one of it was honestly like it was a really good pitch. Like it was like it was in like a like I was really emotional that game too. I, I I just got out of like a bases loaded no out jam, and no, it was it was fun. So now I can you know go and rewatch it here and there, and no, it's there forever. It is there forever. It's there forever. Now we'll see. We can segue there because although you were drafted in the fifth round by the the Royals in twenty one, you were also drafted in twenty eighteen in the thirtieth round by Tampa Bay. Um, obviously, you chose not to sign. You went to Mississippi State. It's almost a rhetorical question, but I'm gonna say that was a great decision on your part. 
Yeah, no, I, I, at the time I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted because I, you know, I was getting both kind of sides where, Hey, pro ball, that's baseball only. You focus on that. Um, and then college, you know, there's a lot of distractions, things like that. Um, but looking back at it now, I definitely think I, I made the right decision going to college again, three years there growing up maturing i think that's that's the biggest thing mm -hmm. you know and I, and I went into pro bowl ready at that point and i had no doubt in my mind and i had you know the um the degree um uh, national championship the, that helps too the national yeah. championship <laughs> yeah so it was just it was a really really fun experience and you also you know created you know relationships out there and you know just great friends and it, it was really really a good it was a good decision going to college rather than going pro ball out of high school for me. Yeah. So. I love that. Cause I mean, we're in different scenarios, right? We're both out of high school. We both went to college. You ended up getting drafted again. I didn't, but I still tell people like same thing, right? Like my thought on it was you go to college and you think you're that good of a player, you'll get drafted again. You know, you'll mm -hmm. be fine. Um, and with that, you get the college experience, which I mean, I had five years and I loved every, every minute of it. I'm sure for you, it was probably even better, you know, Mississippi State winning Natty Championship. But um, yeah, I, I say the same thing and I love guys that do that. Like, I think it's almost like betting on yourself, but it's also like a backup plan, you know? Like for me, I'm not afraid to say I went there and didn't do as well as I did. But dude, at five years of, you know, good college baseball, enjoying it, making like buddies that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Like it, uh, it's a pretty special experience. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. How was Mississippi State, though? I mean, I know, again, rhetorical question, but, like, what a program, huh? Yeah. No, I mean, there's so many things that you can point out. Like, yeah. it's, like the, there's the stadium and the yeah. fan base. That was incredible. Duty Noble, huh? That was a pretty pretty lively place. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the year I showed up was the first year that the brand-new one had just fully opened. The, the year before that, they had just the lower bowl opened up to the public. So then when I got there, um, they actually finished it off completely and, uh, it, it got pretty rowdy over there and, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun and the, the crowds were incredible. And, uh, yeah, no, like I said, the, the adrenaline that was going through you mm -hmm. every time you stepped on that mound in front of, you know, 10,000 10, fans, like it was something that I had never experienced. Um, you know, just, you know, a Canadian kid going to college playing baseball it's uh, it's not what i expected um so it definitely got some getting used to um but i think in the long run it kind of you know helped me prepare for hey when this does happen again i'll be ready i would have i've experienced it and with what i've learned in pro ball so far um i think it, it'll be a really good blend so ten thousand fans uh just like some of those a ball games that you go to eh? <laughs> yeah no, <laughs> but let's change courses here because baseball wasn't your first sport or it wasn't your only sport. I should say many people may not know that you were a two sports star. And of course, being Canadian, you strapped on the skates and were drafted in the OHL, the Ontario Hockey League, in the eighth round by the Owen Sound attack. Ultimately, you decided not to go that route and went baseball but we'll talk about what hockey kind of meant to you or st maybe still means to you um, but more particularly back in uh, when you were what's that about 16 years old um, what it meant to you at that time oh I mean I was I was hockey first 
throughout the majority of my life. Like from probably the age of five or six, it was, it was hockey all the way. And, you know, getting drafted was a huge honor. And when that happened, I kind of, it's funny because I was thinking hockey all the way at that Mm -hmm. point. And that summer was the summer I joined the Great Lake Canadians. And I ended up playing there and I, I improved and I became a PO. And, and then at that point, by the end of that fall, or I think, yeah, by the end of that summer, Greg Hamilton, this was tournament 12 at the time. Now it's mm-hmm. what's it called now? Canadian futures showcase. Yeah. yeah. So I, I remember meeting Greg there in, in 2016 and, uh, he ended up inviting me to the, the first junior national trip. And then that kind of put me in like a perspective where like, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm a top player in the country. So do I go hockey or do I go baseball? And it was kind of, it was, it was a tough decision because I loved both mm-hmm. and hockey was something I did my entire life. And, but in, in the end, I just kind of went with my gut and I was getting, better at baseball and just improving and enjoying it more. And I just decided to go the, the baseball route at that point. And, uh, no, I definitely miss hockey. That's, that's one thing for sure. Um, but you ever get out with the boys anymore? Yeah. It's Shoot against the contract. Bit. Can't get out there anymore on the yeah. record. We're not on the ice. Oh anymore. yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I got your back biggie, but I mean, you were a big, big winger. You're big, right? Huge, what man. Were, what was the, I mean? Baseball reference has you at six five, but I know that ain't the truth. What, what was what was the? Yeah, well, it's got to, you listed at six five. So, but I know you're yeah. not six five. I know you're taller yeah. than that. What are you six seven? No, 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 no. I'm I'm probably six six. Six six. Six All six right. at this point. Um, but yeah, what was what was the strength on the ice? The strength? Yeah, I think it it was pretty simple. It was lay the body and put the puck in the net. Love it. it. Was, Love it. It's pretty straightforward. Um, and then on the power play, I just sit in front of the goal and hide, you know, <laughs> it blocks you like block, block his view yeah, and everything. Whatever it was, I, my, my job was for him not to be able to see the puck. So very cool, man. Um, let's get back to baseball here. Now, before you went to school, we, we'd kind of alluded to it a couple of times, 2017 world championships in Thunder Bay. You got a pretty good start there. Um, important start, I guess, anyway against the U.S. team. Do you remember that game? I remember walking the first three of the game. <laughs> we were, we were talking about that before he came on. <laughs> Willow and I, it's funny because I found the box score, but unfortunately the, the pitching lines weren't in the box score, just the hitting, just the hitting lineups and, and the results. So I didn't know how you fared. So I can't remember, obviously. Mm-hmm. So again, Morissette sent me kind of a write-up about it. And first thing was he walked three batters of the game and a couple runs came in, but then you kind of settled in after that. You remember yeah. though, you remember the next uh, five innings? Yeah. Well, I, I remember I was like, this is like the best, best kids in the States at that point. I'm like, I just walked the first three guys when <laughs> I remember, I think it was MJ or it was like, Hey, just go attack. Like let them beat you. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that plan went out the window. after the first. <laughs> Um, but you know what, after that, I remember, I remember he came out to the the mound and I was like, Hey, nothing hurt yet. You know, start making pitches and you're going to get out of this. And I think I, I probably left that first thing with a a run or two, I think. 
And then yeah, I think two might have come in. Yeah. Of so those then, then after that, you know, I got through the first and then I kind of, you know, got in the rhythm and started, you know, pounding the zone. And, and after that, you know, it kind of just kept, kept going. And I, I remember because I think I, I'm not sure how many innings I went there. Five innings, it was seven five punch innings. outs. And I think I was like at a hundred pitches and I'm like, I'm telling Greg, I was like, I want to go back out there. And he's like, no, Eric, like, you can't do this. Like, you got a long career ahead. And you just, yeah. But I, I wanted to go back out there. I was feeling really good after five. and But in the end, you know, I – and then I think it, it ended up being a pretty tight game overall. I think we dropped to 8-3. Oh, 8-3. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the only other blemish on in those five innings after those walks was a solo shot to somebody who's – Done pretty well for himself, Tristan Casas. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that shot? Yeah, I, <laughs> I do actually. It was, I've, I've, I think I've seen highlights recently about. Oh it. yeah, but it was, I'm like I'm looking at it. I was like, that was a good pitch. He just took me right center with a an away fastball, and uh, but yeah, no, I mean, look at him now. He's I know he's one of the better hitters in the or better young hitters in the uh, in the big leagues right now. So. I, I thought during that tournament that he was like, if I had to say one hitter on that team, which was a pretty, I mean, that roster was just crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I would have said like he was probably the most complete hitter. That's what I thought. It was. I had him as the best hitter in the tournament. Yeah. Like yeah. it was, it was impressive. And he did do well against us, right? Which helps, but. Uh, he had but, five I mean, RBIs that game. Yeah. You're around the park. You see it, right? He was, uh, and, and he's still showing it today. So I think uh, yeah. I test was true. I think. His defense is what came out that game too. Like, yeah, I, I liked good. him there. I thought he was pretty slick at first. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I remember. Like we had some, like we had a couple innings where it was like, like we had stuff happening. And well, the next thing you know, a hit and then just a pick. Yeah, and they're out of the inning, and it was just like wow. Well, me and Bagger, yeah, we were talking about it before because Kumar Rocker had the start right against mm-hmm. us, and oh, yeah. uh, That's right. I remember as the hitters, like we were we were pretty tight going into it. Like he, I think he was like still very high ranked at that time. Yeah, like, he was. The name was like okay, Kumar Rocker starting against us, but I remember I was hitting lower in the order, and I remember guys coming back to the dugout like it's kind of just like 92, 93 straight with like slider. It's not mm-hmm. that great, and we and we like we put up a couple runs early against him. Um and then I remember Ryan Weathers came in out of the pen, and then it was over. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Well, do you, one of my favorite things to do is look back at specifically some of those U.S. rosters from the past, whether it's a junior team or the senior team, mm-hmm. and see some of the names. So, I mean, the, the their leadoff hitter was somebody that I was really impressed with, too, Michael Ciani. Um, I think he was with the Reds. I don't know if he still is. I think he, he made it up to the big leagues for a cup of coffee so far. I really thought he was the catalyst of that team. But uh, also on that team, Jared Kellenick. Uh, Casas, we mentioned, Alec Thomas, Nolan Gorman, and Bryce Terang were all in that lineup that day. So you went out there and, you know, you know uh, that first inning with standing kind of shut them down for, through the next four. So, I mean, pretty pretty nice way for a young 18-year-old to, to kind of go into a college career and pro career there. Yeah. No. And the notorious uh, Nolan Gorman swing at the pitch halfway to the plate and then chuck the yeah. bat at Archer's head. And Archer got pretty fired up after yeah. that one. I thought Archer was going to kill him. <laughs> I thought he was going to kill him. Uh, well, I Nolan. remember. I, I'm pretty sure. I didn't even see it happen. I just, I think I remember striking him out. And I kind of just turned around, started my, you know, little walk. And next thing you know, I turn around and Archer Brookman's getting ready to put <laughs> this guy down. I was like, what What just happened? And then it wasn't until after the game I, I saw the highlights of that. 
That would have been it fun was... to drop drop the gloves with them. Uh, wouldn't be the first fight that Team Canada gets into. Seriously. <clears throat> um, so you you just finished your season, finished the fall fall league. Had you know, as you've stated, pretty long year. Uh, but you did just get back from Florida, as you were telling us before we started recording. Uh, you went to see uh, Eric Cressy, or at least went to Cressy Sports Performance. What was that all about? What were you doing there? What was the objective? Yeah, so so this year I'll, I'm just working with them in the strength and conditioning side of things. Um, and, no, they, they wanted me to get down there um, and just kind of get my feet wet, um, have a couple workouts, um, kind of have an idea of what the exercises and, and things like that were. Um, and then on top of that, I had a, a body assessment down there, which kind of, you know, found my deficiencies and, and things like that. And to be able to go this off season and attack those and just get stronger in the areas where needs the most improvement. Um, overall, I am really proud that, you know, I was able to, to stay healthy mm-hmm. um, this year. And even though, you know, I had a couple, you know, bumps and bruises, like I was able to just kind of work through it. And that's one thing that throughout like a, a full minor league season, like some days you're, you're not going to feel a hundred percent. And honestly, that's most days. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of grinding it out and competing and keeping it simple. Um, but yeah, no, back to Cressy. I, I just think it's, it's going to be a, a good opportunity for me to just, you know, take advantage um, of this off season. I'm going to have a, it's going to, it's already shorter than other players off season. Mm-hmm. So I want to try to maximize as much as I can over these next couple months. Um, so I, I just, I thought it was, it was the right thing to do. And you no, know, I, I had heard really good things about Cressy. Um, mm-hmm. So, but no, once I, I got down there, um, did their workouts, did their program and, and that kind of stuff, like I was, I was pretty excited um, to, to be working with them this off season. So you, you have probably about two, two and a half months or so until you, you're going to head back down mm-hmm. <clears throat> mid, mid January, early February, sometime around then, I would think. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, mostly. What, February. what does your throwing program look like for then? Are you going to take some time off or just slow it down? What are you going to do? Um, so I, I took this past week off. Um, I threw the, the football around a little bit a couple of days. Um, and I think this week as well, I'm going to take it really light and then probably near the end of next week, maybe start tossing at that point. Um, I still got, I still got to figure that out. Um, I got to reach out to the Royals and and see what their throwing program, what their guys are, or or what they're thinking Mm -hmm. uh, on that side of things. So right now it's, it's a little TBD. Um, but, uh, no, hopefully, you know, by the end of next week, we start, you know, tossing light and start getting the arm ready for, for another, a new year. So, well, you also need to kind of, um, rejuvenate and relax, you know, away from the field, away from the gym. What, what do, what are you going to be doing outside of baseball activities for the next couple months? I don't know. Um, no, <laughs> you know, it's weird because that's like your, our world revolves so much around baseball when you're playing. It's yeah. like, man, I don't know what I'm, I don't yeah. know what I'm going to do when I'm not playing. No, I mean, just, just take it easy. Hang out with some friends that I haven't seen all year. Um, this year, I'm, I'm going to be living out in London to, to save the, the drive um, to Centerfield Sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the family, we've also got um, a trip planned to, to Punta Cana nice. um, for, about, for about a week. So that'll be nice, relaxing. 
Maybe maybe I'll throw on the beach a couple coconuts here and there. <laughs> Are um, you gonna head to Wandolio to Costa Caribe uh, just for old time's sake or what? <laughs> I, you know what? It's kind of funny because I think I I searched it up a couple weeks ago on how far it was, and I think it was like five hours away. <laughs> yeah, it's but, not that close. Yeah, Bagger no. would drive just for the sushi there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> just for listeners reference the, the junior national team goes on the a trip to the dominican republic every year stays in juan dolio which is kind of central to a lot of the major league complexes the dominican uh dominican summer league teams and the resort that we stayed at is the coast of Caribe bay with a two and a half star beach it's decent though the the hotel's decent and uh, i'm not one to shy away from the buffet table so <laughs> it's good times and noted too that beggar even though we are in a different country it, it it is fair game there's nothing stopping him from trying anything there no it's it, we're good we're good uh, i've i've dabbled in all of it the hey i highly recommend the sushi from the the left side of the buffet <laughs> oh that's good well, um, yeah, Eric, I think that's gonna that's gonna do it, man. That's um, man, it's great catching up with you. I haven't seen you. I saw you quickly in September there down at the Rogers Center. Said hi. I knew we wanted to get you on here, and then uh, and then when I knew you were going to the fall league, we're kind of doing these interviews with a bunch of the fall league guys. It kind of is like our kind of like a fall league circuit that we did. Hey, eh, Willow, yeah. a bunch of well, five going. or six yeah. that we. Yeah, so we'll see who else we can get on. But, um, man, it's been great catching up with you and really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, no, boys. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, it was good. Well, let's do it again when we get to the big leagues um, in due time. How about that? Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's what we're striving for. 100%. Well, Royals fans should be excited. Um, Great personality, great guy, and uh, obviously really, really good pitching resume. So, Thanks again, and everybody, that's going to do it for this week. Um, If you enjoyed the podcast, remember to subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell people who aren't your friends. Whatever you need to do. Get us listeners. Uh, If you want to reach out, we'd love to hear from you. Fire us some questions, comments. Let us know what you think. And until next week, that is Apotaco out. Out.